Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, he's back. We always enjoy talking to our friend Travis Nix. He is in D.C. He's at Georgetown because he's one of them real smart fellers. We love talking to him. Going to talk a little taxes today. Travis, how are you, sir? Good to see you again. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, glad to have you back and not for you to tell me I'm wrong this time, unlike last time, but we won't talk about that nor hold it against you. Uh, you're in the Wall Street Journal writing. That's a good get, by the way. Congratulations. You're talking taxes and the law. I want to start with some basic background because taxes is another one of those things. Look, taxes is most people's main engagement with their government. They pay their taxes, right? This is so foundational to our government that this is, it's not an overblown statement. This is how we wound up with a constitution because the article of confederation, they couldn't get the tax stuff right. So they sat down. Our whole system of government is based on the government's ability to tax and who taxes and why they tax. I think we need to start there before we get to the legal stuff and what's going on now, because I just don't think there's a good fundamental literacy on what taxes are, are not, should be, and have become when they shouldn't have been. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, yeah, you're completely right. Taxes are definitely foundational to our constitutional background. You can make the argument that our whole constitution is based on trying to eliminate discriminatory taxes, discriminatory tariffs, stuff like that. So when we think about taxes, ideally, we just collect as much taxes as we need to fund the government, to fund very specific priorities that the government has. And we want to raise the taxes in the most economically efficient way possible. So you want to raise the tax revenue in the way that does the least amount of damage to the economy, because all taxes take money out of people's pockets, obviously. Uh, to fund government projects, which creates a economic loss and inefficiency. So the way that you make the tax code more efficient is you raise the revenue in a way that doesn't distort people's choices. So it's trying to eliminate discriminatory taxes, basically. Yeah. And we understand that that's not a utopian thing. You know, the founding fathers did not ride unicorns in and sign all this in magic ink that, you know, binds people forever. These are human beings. We understand that there's government bureaucracy. We understand there's government bloat. That's why we have separation of powers, judicial review, and the legislative branch was given the power that purse. The entire idea of this government, and I'm just making this into a small ball so we can talk about it. It's much more complicated than this. The whole idea was taxing and funding of our government was supposed to have layers of oversight. It was supposed to have accountability. And it was supposed to have multiple people's hands in who does it, why they do it, and how it gets allocated, right? Yeah, exactly. 100%. Congress is supposed to 
set the tax rate based on what they want to fund. The president obviously has veto power. He can propose his own budget to try and get Congress to pass it. And there are judicial protections all throughout the Constitution for taxes. For example, you can't impose a direct tax like a property tax. You can't have a national property tax without it being apportioned based on state population, which is impossible. So the framers definitely tried to make it as difficult as possible for people to tax um, until the 17th or 16th Amendment made it a lot easier with the income tax. Yeah, Travis next joining us. Okay, that's the ideal. As we sit right now in the year of our Lord 2022, where we can't even get a budget in its traditional form passed, where we don't have a Congress that's working in good order. And I don't mean good order is in good. I mean, good order is in the way they're supposed to function. Um, how far off of that are we right now? Because it seems like we're clear off the map on it where we're doing, you know, we're just doing one right now, continuing resolution, just keep the government going. We always have funding crisis every October. How far off the mark are we from what the ideal was? We're so far off what the ideal was, because like you said, with all these continuing budget resolutions where there's really no oversight on the funding, there's really a disconnect between taxes and spending because we have so much of a deficit. We're so much in debt. Our tax, a lot of our tax money, um, it doesn't cover the spending, obviously. That's why we have to borrow so much in debt. So it's a complete disconnect from what we should be. And we have obviously economically harmful taxes riddled throughout the tax code so much amb 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 ambiguous provisions that if you don't comply with the irs can go and slap slap a very fat penalty on you that's just punitive that doesn't help them recover the revenue at all yeah travis next joining us let's talk about the irs for a second because it's been all over the news we know about the eighty-six thousand new irs agent I think a more helpful way to do this is to kind of talk about the IRS, the way we've had to start talking about the military, the way we've had to talk about education in the last few years. Anything that has a government bureaucracy attached to it really has two parts. It has the actual function that you have to have. And the IRS has a very important function. They need to collect the taxes. They need to enforce the taxes. They need to distribute the money. They need to distribute things like refunds back. They have an important function. Then on top of that, you have all these layers of bureaucracy that does all the bad stuff you're talking about. How do we have that conversation like the military? You know, the military is very important, but we also say, oh, this is for the military. And it goes to some, you know, office out in Arlington somewhere. Same thing with education, same thing with everything. How do we get into that conversation about the IRS of like, yes, there's needed funding to upgrade how they process taxes. It's a mess. But we also don't want this enforcement arm getting out of control and the bureaucracy doesn't need to continue to grow that caused the problem with the collection of taxes in the first place. Yeah, I think it really starts with more IRS oversight. So a lot of people don't know this, but the IRS actually has an oversight board that the president is supposed to appoint. This oversight board has basically been empty since 2010. So it essentially doesn't exist anymore. And what they're supposed to do is file a yearly report <clears throat> about ways the IRS can improve itself, improve its customer service, making sure they're not doing very punitive um, practices that <clears throat> have no other purpose other than to harm taxpayers. So I think IRS oversight really starts with trying to fill this IRS board, and then hopefully Congress will start listening to them. Congress should be having more hearings 
and stuff like that to figure out where all this new money is going to and try and limit it to less for enforcement and more for improving customer service. So when someone calls the IRS, when a normal taxpayer calls the IRS to figure out how they're supposed to do their taxes, someone will actually pick up the phone, which doesn't happen anymore. Right. Or, you know, they could actually try to do messaging and things like everybody else in the world is doing these. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Days. Travis Nix joining us. Let, let's just go there with it. We understand you need to enforce taxes. We know because the IRS themselves admitted it a few years ago. They don't go after the the big people because they don't. Ha- they say it's not funding. The really rich, of course, have the ability to fight it and drag it out. Court, tax cases are incredibly complicated. You can speak to that as somebody that studies the law. How do we make sure that it's not just them going after the low-hanging fruit? Not that people that you know don't make a lot of money don't cheat on their taxes. They do, but there needs to be a proportionality. You know, do they really need to be leveling 140% fines against people's homes over a couple thousand dollars of taxes? Is there things they can do financial penalty-wise? Can they have some kind of a gradient system instead of just you know going straight to garnishing people's wages? There seems like there's a whole spectrum of options in here. And yet when it comes to enforcement, they just want to go straight to the sledgehammer all the time. Yeah, I think the problem is so everyone has like a taxpayer bill of rights that's supposed to offer all of these protections. It's something when Congress reformed the IRS in the 1990s that they did. And this basically your bill of rights, it has all these rights of how the like an audit is supposed to go. And it's supposed to offer all these protections for taxpayers. It's unenforceable. A court has never enforced it. So I think that if we could get something like that, that could actually make it enforceable. And we can have, it can be judicially enforced, or we can have just the court start interpreting the Constitution again, because we have an Eighth Amendment that's supposed to protect people from excessive fines. And the tax code's riddled with 50% fines. It can even be higher than that in certain cases, that if we can start striking those down, those penalties down as excessive fines that serve no purpose other than to punish taxpayers. Uh, The Eighth Amendment is not one of the sexy ones. It's not the First Amendment. It's not the Second Amendment. We don't have people walking around with, you know, Eighth Amendment tattoos like they do with the second one. Right. Uh, We don't have whole organizations built around the First Amendment like we do with that, which we should because those are important. People don't know that Eighth Amendment. So just real quick, making sure we got everybody on the same song sheet here, just walk through what the Eighth Amendment does. More importantly, what it doesn't do, because when you're talking constitutional law, 
these things were written a little bit open-ended on purpose. So walk us through the Eighth Amendment. Yeah, so everyone knows the Eighth Amendment because it prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. That's just one of the clauses in it. There's about five clauses in it. And one of the clauses that I think can be the most useful for taxes is there's a prohibition against excessive government fines. Um, this is a right that dates all the way back to the Magna Carta. It's in the English Bill of Rights, and then we adopted it in our own constitution. It's supposed to protect people, or protect American citizens against excessive um, fines in connection to a crime. So criminal fines, which do exist, as well as civil fines in a purely civil lawsuit of the government coming after people for unpaid taxes, stuff like that, and then slapping them with a 100% fine. Yeah. And here's this is where this legally and your piece in the Wall Street Journal, you're talking about the courts intervening. Fines and taxes are legal definitions. Those are legal terms. This is probably mostly known for folks from the Roberts decision and the ACA ruling where it's like, was well, it a fine or is it a tax? And we will hash that out some other time. It's a fine line. It's a moving line. Walk folks through that, though, because to the average American, whether it's a fine or a tax, it's the exact same thing. It's money coming out of your pocket. So they don't see the difference. We also see this. This is a big problem in the criminal justice system too. fines, punitive fines for punishment, tax code wise, judicial wise. Walk us through that, the differences and why it's so important, whether it's a fine or a tax, because legally there's a lot of restraints on one and the other one's pretty ambiguous in it. Yeah. So. A tax is obviously that's something that Congress passed for the purpose of raising revenue. There's no punishment purpose. It's Congress saying, this is what we need to raise to fund the government. A fine is something on top of that. So it's something that when the IRS comes to you and says that you owe $100, and then they're going to say, no, you don't really owe $100. We're also going to impose a $50 on top of that, $50 on top of that to punish you for not doing your taxes right or whatever, or to say, we need these fines in order to deter other taxpayers from making the same mistake you did. So it has a, a, a criminal justice aspect to it in terms of people, they, they, it's a, it has a deterrence purpose. All right, Travis, next joining us. I've seen this personally with people that got into trouble with the IRS. They go after your homes. They go after your wages. I know one case where they actually went after the house and property of a guy's mother-in-law because they didn't think they could get enough equity out of his stuff. People do not understand the wide-ranging powers the IRS has to investigate, to take, to levy these liens. Just, I, it's It's expansive, but try to explain to folks you know, they talk about a cop coming to your house and you just say, well, I got a warrant and they got to kind of hold them up. The IRS has some power even beyond things like that. They're they're well nigh unpregnantable to the average American when the IRS shows up at your door. And it's really scary stuff for folks that probably need to know how powerful they really are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it starts it starts at the beginning. It starts with the audit. They can basically audit your tax re return for any reason. They don't have to have any suspicion that you're wrong, they can just look at it to confirm that you are right. And so once that happens, once they start looking at your return, that's an audit and it goes from there. And it could take years, it could take months, it just depends on the amount of receipts that you have because taxpayers are guilty until proven innocent. 
So when the IRS looks at your tax return, taxpayers have to prove through documentation that their math and their deductions and everything's right. The IRS um, does not have to prove that they are right in court. And then once the IRS um, gets you for something, they have very, there is an IRS manual that they have to follow and there is a judicial process on putting liens against people's homes and stuff, but they have very vast collection power uh, to seize your assets, seize your homes, garnish wages, um, to be able to collect your unpaid tax. Yeah, and you're talking the judicial side of this, but really most of the problems when it comes to the IRS, and we're bashing them a little bit here because they deserve it, but to be fair to the IRS, they're supposed to be governed by Congress. They're supposed to have pretty strict, you know, boundaries put on them by Congress. And we have a Congress that's not really been interested in putting boundaries and guardrails on the government, let alone taking care of their financing, let alone taking care of their funding to things that they really need, like updating how you do your taxes and fixing all those piles of paper sitting around and not doing things like, you know, funding the bureaucracy that makes the problem worse. How much, give me the ratio, how much of this is a judicial problem? How much of this is a congressional problem? Well, it's all a congressional problem because Congress is the one who wrote these penalties in the law. So like one of the pieces that are in my article that I wrote, there's a penalty for if you don't report a foreign bank account to the IRS, the IRS can either take $100,000 or 50% of what's ever in that bank account. That's a Congress, that's a congressional problem because Congress is the one that gave the IRS the discretion to make that decision, when it should probably just be, you know, a flat $100,000 versus if you have a $5 million bank dollar bank account, they can take two and a half million, which is what the IRS did in one of these cases pending for the Supreme Court. But it's also a judicial problem because when Congress makes the mistake of writing in a very excessive and punitive penalty, the court are not stepping in to say that they can't do this, that this fine, this penalty is so outrageous that it's unconstitutional. The courts aren't willing to step that in. So it's a Congress, it's a congressional problem because Congress created the problem, but the judiciary is not providing a remedy to taxpayers who are being hit with these fines. So talking remedies, what do we do about it? Because people are looking at the IRS and go, man, they're they're well nigh, you know, all powerful as far as the American citizens concerned. There's nothing I can do about that. Congress is, you know, a mess. They're not going to do anything about it. You know, the Supreme Court, who knows where that's going to go? I can see the frustration of American citizens just throwing their hands up and going, what? But we also don't want them to be, you know, some of the fear mongering that's going on, like, you know, 87,000 IRS agents. No, not all 87,000 of them are on a SWAT team is going to kick in your door. That's ridiculous, too. But a legitimate concern. What do we do about this? I think it's it starts with Congress, obviously, because people have the most control over Congress, making sure that 
congressmen are aware of these problems because i think i don't even think if you were to ask every the average congressman what's in the tax code what types of penalties do you impose on taxpayers they would have no idea so i think it's an educational thing that we need to educate as scary as this sounds we need to educate congressmen on the consequences of their decisions and bring some of these stories that i talk about in my piece to light on what the irs can actually do to someone yeah travis next um just to get personal for a second I, I i had a very close friend who went through a thing with the irs i've seen other people do it i've read some real horror stories on what they can do to your lives i just touched on it but i want to hit it again the enforcement angle of this went viral because that just scares the bejeebus out of people it just scares folks and it should because they have a lot of power our government's supposed to work for us so when you have something that's going to have an innate thing that everybody hates, like collecting taxes, we talked about educating, you know, the people in Congress. We also need to educate the American people a little bit about, hey, yes, they need to collect taxes because before you can really complain about it, you need to understand what it should look like when it's fully functional. Right. Yeah. So how do we educate them? Like, look, this is why we're complaining. Instead of just fear mongering about it, go, look, this is why we're complaining about the enforcement part because the part of them actually collecting the taxes and you can pull up on Google, the pictures of just stacks of paper in the cafeterias of the IRS because they can't put it anywhere. That kind of stuff. How do we educate the American people? How do we educate us so that we're better for this discourse and this discussion as well? Yeah, I think the IRS has some culpability on this just because they don't, the IRS likes to play everything close to the vest. They don't like to talk about how bad their problems are because they think that if they reveal all this to the American public that then more people will cheat on their taxes. So they don't want to talk about how they have 30 year old computer systems and stuff like that. I think it's hard. So it's very hard to educate the average American on the IRS's customer, well called customer service problems when the IRS itself doesn't really like to talk about it in public forum. So I think the IRS also needs to get more comfortable talking about its procedures and trying to show to the american people that they are not the big bad wolf they are that they are not going to come kick down your door that a lot of them they're just good people trying to do their jobs and then they're just they're hand tied by congress that this is what congress wrote for them so i think the irs needs to you never see a public press conference by the head of the IRS. You never see it from the IRS commissioner. I think it should be a much more visible position in American law and in American politics so that people actually have a figurehead and they just don't see the evil in the IRS, that they're actually trying to do their job, stuff like that. I think that would go a long way in improving the IRS's image with a lot of Americans. Travis, next joining us. I think this is an important point because I think this is one of the lessons of COVID where government officials did a really bad job of just messaging and basic communicating. We learned, we just talked to our friend, Michael, Sie Dr. Michael Siegel about this. We learned that scientists don't know how to talk to normal average American people. We learned that the government scientists are even worse at it. We learned that bureaucrats don't speak media. We learned that the media don't know how to ask questions of the bureaucrats and the scientists. I think this same problem applies to the IRS. I think they're still under the mentality. The FBI's got the same problem, by the way. They still think they're this institution that's above it all, and you're not anymore. And you have to communicate 
to the people because the people have a whole lot of power to talk back, to promote their own stories, to they can record on a phone when your agent comes to their house now. That's probably going to start happening. I think there's an institutional thing here where these institutions are used to just being a part of the bureaucracy and technology has changed it and the people have some power now. Like, no, this bureaucracy is still ours and you need to answer to us. They should probably get ahead of it and start communicating to the people directly a lot better. And I know that's going to be hard and it's going to be messy. That's a whole of government problem, I think, that's really expanded on what you just said. Yeah, exactly. As with this new IRS funding package that the Democrats passed, not one time have you seen in the mainstream media uh, the head of the IRS, the IRS commissioner. Actually, we don't even have an IRS commissioner right now. So that's that's a that's a whole different story. Biden is probably going to nominate somebody, but there's not even the head of the IRS right now. Biden's worried about they can't get Senate confirmation. So he just hasn't nominated anybody to take over from the Trump administration. So like, but we don't even have a deputy secretary. Nobody has actually gone out and communicated to the public effectively on how they are going to use this money and what it's going to be used for. And I think that would go a long way in um, restoring, trying to restore relations with the American people. Uh, and government has to have a relationship with the people. That's where a cause of a lot of these problems are. It's a lot bigger topic for another day, but that that's the core to a lot of our cultural and political problems right there is the government and the people got to work together both ways. And people aren't great about it either. Um, but this really, you know, when, when you have a, a organization that can wreck your life, it's really important that you're at least communicating correctly. Travis Nix, this is great stuff. This piece has a lot of in-depth stuff to it. Make sure you read the whole thing. We'll link to it. Read it for yourself. It's in the Wall Street Journal uh, because he's an up-and-coming guy, and we're lucky to have him. Uh, till we get you back on Hertel again, my friend, let folks know where they can keep up with you and what you've got going on. Uh, easiest way is on Twitter, at TNIX, N-I-X-113. Thank you so much for having me again. Always happy to be on. Yep, and we don't even hold it against him that he's a Villanova Georgetown Cubs fan. I think you may be the only person I know that's that trifecta, but that's pretty amazing. Thank you. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll talk again soon. Talk soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you sir. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.